So Archbishop Kawashi, who's the Archbishop of the Diocese of Jos, that we, uh, Bishop Stewart's been friends with him for over 20 years, um, and uh, spent a lot of time, I've been there four times. He loves to tell the story about um, a Reverend Fox, who was a professor at Cambridge, who came to Jos, Nigeria in 1907. And Reverend Fox was such a godly man, such a holy man, such a man filled with the spirit of Jesus that um, just in a short period of time, this area that had not received the gospel before, um, hundreds of people started coming to know Jesus through the ministry of Reverend Fox. And so much was going on so quickly in the Diocese of Joss that Reverend Fox asked his brother, his younger brother, to come over to Joss as well. His younger brother was a medical doctor. And while his younger brother was making the trip from England to Joss, Reverend Fox fell ill and died. And so by the time his brother got there, uh, Reverend Fox was dead at the age of 32 years old. Then when his brother arrived, very quickly after that, I believe he came down with malaria, and he also died. So two brothers had died within a span of a year. The parents, the Fox parents, um, were so moved by what their sons were trying to do that they actually sold a lot of land and they sold a lot of their possessions and they used the money to contribute to the mission work in Joss. So today, Archbishop Kawashi will sometimes bring people to the gravestones of these two brothers who paved the way for the gospel. So I think of these uh, partners, I think of these friends, I think of Hassan John, I think of what they're doing in Joss, and I am just so honored and so privileged to be a part of the work of God throughout the world. And my journey to Anglicanism has sort of taken place over the last 10 years, and one of the things that really cemented it for me was the strength, and one of the things that cemented it for me to say, I am staying with the Anglican Church for the rest of my life based on sort of a evangelical, non-denominational background. One of the things that really cemented it for me, among other things, but one of the things was the beauty of our global connections and our global relationships. Because I think what those brothers did was something that was very deep in the heart of God, namely God's love for all the nations of the earth. And I think that's one of the things we see as a theme in the book of Jonah. And I'm going to use not just Jonah 1 and 2, but just sort of the whole arc of the Jonah story, which is, to me, is such, such an incredible global missions text of cross-cultural work, of bringing the gospel to all the nations of the earth. And in my prayer this morning is that God would awaken, reawaken, or awaken, or deepen um, a love in our hearts for his heart, for the nations of the earth. So you read the story of the Bible, um, there, there does seem to be a very, one of the storylines that runs through the Bible is this love that God has for all peoples of the earth, all nations of the earth. So we see this beginning in, actually beginning in Genesis 11 with what 
some scholars call the brokenness of the nations, where the nations try to build this big tower of Babel and it all unravels and the nations are scattered. And then the other bookend in the Bible we see in places like Revelations chapter 7, where there is a reunification, a reconciliation, a bringing together of the nations or the healing of the nations. So Revelation chapter 21 talks about the river running through the, the, the kingdom of God, the new restored kingdom of God, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And then Revelation 7 has a picture of the redeemed people of God. The, um, John says that after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, crying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So you have these bookends of the, 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 the breaking of the nations, the healing of the nations, and then in Genesis 12, right after Genesis chapter 11, we have the call to the nations with Abraham and Sarah, where God's saying, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, and you will bless all the nations of the earth. So that is the heartbeat of God, the heartbeat that I think he wants to, uh, that I, he wants to have in each and every follower of Jesus, to have that beating deep within us, no matter what our role is, no matter where we go in our life, no matter uh, what our jobs are or what our vocation is, part of our life will be this warm heart beating for all the nations of the earth. Now, there's two ways that we can capture this heart, that we can be captured by this heart of God, that we can be intoxicated by this heart of God and his love for the nations of the earth. God in his mercy has provided two ways. The first one is we can look at Jesus we can live in union with Jesus, drawing from his spirit, and then we can be more like Jesus. This Jesus who said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. It's Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 28, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, what's called the Great Commission, that I have called you to make disciples of all the nations of the earth. So that's one way, is to look at Jesus, live in union with Jesus, become more like Jesus. The other way is to look at Jonah and then not be like Jonah. <laughs> Do the opposite of Jonah. He is like God's insightful non-evangelist, non-cross-cultural missionary. He just shows us pretty much how to do it wrong. And I think that's helpful for us. Jonah is, so, you know, the interesting thing is there's this really strong Jesus-Jonah connection. Um, this Jesus-Jonah connection in the early church. So Jesus is perfect. He does it right. Jonah is the complete missionary flop. He's a rebel. He's a runaway. He's surly. He's negative. He's kind of like me, like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I think I'm still pretty surly, but I'm getting over it. Um, <laughs> 
I love the way Frederick Buechner, Frederick Buechner, the author and writer, he has a little book where he talks about kind of Bible characters, and here's a little description he uses for Jonah. Within a few minutes of swallowing the prophet Jonah, the whale suffered a severe attack of acid indigestion, and it's not hard to see why. Jonah had a disposition that was enough to curdle milk. When God ordered him to go to Nineveh and tell them there to shape up and get saved, the expression on Jonah's face was that of a man who had just gotten a whiff of septic tank trouble, etc. And yet, the thing about Jonah, there is something great about Jonah. He does go. He does go. He struggles, but he goes. He struggles all along, and yet he preaches. He does preach the message. So he's not the perfect non-example, because there's a lot of things he does right. But I don't think the early church would have made the connection that Jesus is a Jonah-like figure, unless Jesus would have come up with that himself. Jesus is actually the one that started it. So, for instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells, says, no sign will be given. People were asking for a sign, and Jesus says, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The early church picked up on the really positive message of Jonah. I think the positive things that he had done. And they love this Jesus-Jonah connection. So for instance, one of the church fathers, a man named St. Cyril of Jerusalem said, and when we ex examine the story of Jonah, great is the force of the resemblance between Jesus and Jonah. So the early church loved to draw these parallels between Jesus and Jonah. Just as Jonah was in a boat, Jesus was in a boat in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Just as there was a storm while Jonah was in the boat, there was a storm when Jesus was in the boat. Just as Jonah was swallowed by a whale for three days, Jesus was swallowed by the fish of death for three days. Just as Jonah descended into the abyss, Jesus ascended into the abyss of death and hell itself. Just as the whale retched out Jonah, this is literally from St. Augustine himself, just as the whale retched out Jonah, so Jesus was retched from death, not from a whale, but from God the Father and from the Holy Spirit, from the whole Trinity, the whole operation of the Trinity. So Augustine said, as Jonah passed from the ship to the belly of the whale, so Christ passed from the cross to the tomb or into the abyss of death. The difference is, is that as Jonah did it so imperfectly and struggled, struggled with the call, the call that God had given to the nation of Israel so clearly to be a light to all the nations of the earth, from very, from Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, all throughout the Old Testament, the, light, the, the call, the clear call of God for Israel to be a light to the nations, Jonah struggled with that and wanted to keep his heart closed and small 
and smug and arrogant and comfortable and filled with self-pity. Sometimes, in one way, I think we could say that part of the journey of our Christian life is this journey from a Jonah-like heart to a Jesus-like heart in our love for the nations of the earth. It's a Jonah-like heart, a man who did not want to fulfill the call that God had given originally to Israel, to a Jesus-like heart, the Savior who fulfilled and lived out beautifully this call to Israel and this call to the church to be a light to the nations. A long, slow journey from having a Jonah-like heart to a Jesus-like heart. And i got to say, this takes immense amounts of patience, humility, a willingness to fail, a willingness to humble ourselves and listen, a willingness to learn. On my first trip to Jos, Nigeria, I went with Bishop Stewart, and Bishop Stewart can testify, I wasn't having a very good time. The culture shock was like, really, well, it shocked me. I guess that's why it's called culture shock. And the, the food, the, the, just the way the Nigerians do life, the kind of the harshness of life there, the, the threats that they live under of bombings in, in downtown Joss. And after about, I think we were there almost two weeks, after about five days, I just was like, I felt really disoriented. I felt confused. Um, I just wanted to go home. And um, I was trying to adjust to a new culture, and I was having a really hard time. I thought it would be really easy. I thought we would instantly bond. I thought we would instantly get along. I thought there would be instant communion, instant intimacy, and there wasn't. And it took a second visit, a third visit, and my fourth visit, I went, traveled with Canon William Beasley, and he had to go back early, so I actually stayed a few more days. And there's about a five, six hour drive from, from uh, Joss to the airport in Abuja. And as I was driving, um, my, the guy that was driving, Mark Mukan, um, we were driving in this car, he had this music blaring, and he had this one song that was just looping over and over and over again for five hours. The song really grew on me by the time we got there, but as the song was playing, we just drove in the middle of the day through the Nigerian countryside. And all through the countryside, you'd see these like vegetable stands set up with fresh ginger and fresh tomatoes and yams. And there would be these little fires on the, on the road where people would be cooking meat and and then there was up in the hills, I saw these like this group of like six women, all with their different, beautifully covered dresses, carrying things on their head as they're coming down this sort of mountain pass. And I started to weep because I felt like the first time I was in Nigeria, I could hardly wait 
to get home. This fourth time, it's like, yeah, I still want to come home. I'm looking forward to come home, but I don't want to leave either. I love this place. God had broken my heart and opened my heart to the people of Nigeria, and they had opened their heart to me. And that's one of the beautiful things when we get into global partnerships, is that it becomes a real partnership. Let me just end with, with three things for you to think about. And then I want to have some prayer time just based around this theme. So the whole arc of the book of Jonah, Jonah runs away, he goes the opposite direction, he falls into the ocean, he gets swallowed by a whale, the Lord miraculously delivers him, he goes unwillingly, kind of, but he goes and he preaches the good news, the people of Nineveh repent, Jonah feels self-pity and sorrow around this because he really didn't want them to repent, and then it ends with a question, God says, look, there's 120,000 people there. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know good from evil. And am I not supposed to care for them? Am I not supposed to show compassion to them? So it ends with a sort of a question hanging there. It's like, how are you going to respond, follower of Jesus? Originally, to the nation of Israel, how are you going to respond, nation of Israel? Are you going to be the light to the nations? Are you going to fulfill your Abrahamic calling that I gave you back in Genesis chapter 12? Are you going to respond to that? So that was the first application, but then it applies to us as a church. How are we going to respond to that? Let me just say three things. First, the nations are here. They have come here. I'm amazed sometimes at people that, and, and I'm not picking on any of you, so don't, don't think of it this way, but I'm amazed sometimes at the people who are really interested in global missions. They really want to go overseas. But they don't know one person from another culture that's living in Wheaton. You can start here. Some people call this the Great Migration. There are 200 million people who are on the move right now. 720 million people that are settled outside of their original homeland. 86, this, here's a statistic that should break our heart, 86% of the Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists who live in this country do not personally know a Christian. The nations are here. If you want God to break your heart for the nations, start within a two-mile radius. They're probably around you. Second thing is, the nations are sending people here. Nigeria is sending out missionaries to the United States. Why? Because as Archbishop Kwashi has told us, I love what you've done. I love the West. I love England. I love the United States. You brought us the gospel. You helped disciple us. But now in so many ways, you have abandoned the gospel. And now we need to send missionaries to you. The nations are sending people here. The third thing is, is that the nations still need us. And I'm talking about global places. There is still a place for us to go. And that God doesn't call everybody to that. God does, certainly does not call everybody to that. And many people who think they may be called, they, 
They may not be called to a life of global missions, but some of you may. And I just want your heart to be open to that. As we um, worship, as we continue worshiping, I know, especially when you haven't set your career, sometimes you have a lot of idealism, a lot of hopes, a lot of dreams, maybe around global missions. And I don't know God's will for your life, but I do want to spend some time, if you want prayer, if you feel a call in your heart, like you feel a stirring, that I have a stirring I want I do love the nations. God has put that in my heart. He's put that Abrahamic love in my heart. He's put that Jesus-like love in my heart, and I don't know what to do with that. We would love to just pray with you tonight, to come beside you and pray with you. Ty's going to lead us in some more worship songs. Thanks, Ty. Ty.